Parenting is one of the greatest responsibilities that anyone could ever be called to. As Christians, what's the right way to do it? In this message, learn how to raise our children up to be the young men and women God intends for them to be. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. The word keep is a military term. It means to guard, to watch. You have the watch. It's interesting every time I'm at a retirement ceremony for somebody in the Navy and to a lesser degree, some in the uh, Marine Corps, but they always, they, they do that ceremony of the poem and the watch and I, you, you stand relieved of the watch. That's the idea of the word keep here. It's a watch. Keep thy heart, watch your heart with all diligence, with special attention. I know we're talking about parenting, but this is just applicable to life. Sin never starts in behavior. Sin always starts in the heart. Families are never ruined because of behavior. They're always ruined in the heart. Marriages break up not because of what somebody did or did not do. The action is secondary to the heart. The heart is the primary issue in everything. That's why we're commanded to keep our hearts. How many of you ever find yourself acting right and thinking wrong? Like I can act right and think wrong. The battle for behavior, the battle for really success is in the heart. Keep your heart. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. Right thinking leads to right behavior. That's why the Bible says elsewhere in Proverbs. Uh, um, um, I'm trying to think of the, I, it was just in my head. Uh, Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life are here. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart. I, I'm not one for pop psychology. As a matter of fact, I'm going to preach a little bit against that tonight. But can I tell you, if you're beating yourself up in your mind all the time and telling yourself that you're worthless and that you're a failure and you don't have value and you're, you're, uh, you're never going to succeed, can I listen to me very clearly? Can I tell you that that's probably a self-fulfilling prophecy in the very near future? Word heart, we would use the word mind in many ways as well. It just, it's, it's that innermost thinking that we have. So keep your heart. Well, what is the Christian thing? Oh, I'm a child of God. Well, people make fun of me. Yeah, but I'm a child of God. I remember one time I was on outreach. I was 22 years old. I'd just been hired by the Calvary Baptist Church in San Dimas, California. And um, my job was to drive the pastor around. I was the pastoral driver. He would speak at places. I was his driver. I never drove. He quit before I ever did. I took one driving test and he was out. Um, but that was my job, and when I wasn't driving him around, I had a certain number of hours every day that I was supposed to work, obviously. It was a part-time job, and, and I was supposed to go on outreach, and I, I've shared somewhat this illustration before, but I was walking down the street, and I was doing outreach one day and knocking on doors, trying to find people home and invite people to church, and I came around this corner, and on my side of the street was a mansion. It was the biggest house I'd ever seen in my life. It was a literal Southern California mansion. The house probably had about three acres of land. It was probably a a 10 to 12,000 square foot home. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I'm not doing that house because those people have too much money. And I'm not going to go there. And I'm scared of that because I was a poor kid. My family didn't grow up with, with a lot. And I was a poor kid and it intimidated me. And I can remember standing outside their very long driveway. It was like one of those driveways that, you know, they open a gate for and have the little intercom box and you drive up. You know, it's one of those type things. And the gate was open. And it's when I saw the gate open, I was like, Man, why is the gate open? How many ever been on outreach and wondered that? And you prayed for that. Like, couldn't the gate have been closed? But the gate was open and I was standing there and I was like, I'm not going up there. And I started having this internal conversation with myself. They wouldn't talk to me. I don't have value. I don't have anything to offer them. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit of God that in our moments of weakness, he reminds us of who we are in Christ. And he just kind of stopped me and, and I don't know, put his arm around me and in loving care said, hey, Chris, remember, you're a child of the king. 
Jesus died for you. You're on your way to heaven. You have a mansion in heaven that is bigger than this. And you have a wave pool in heaven. He told me that. It was right there. It was at that moment that I knew. And I walked up there and and in boldness, confidence, and fear, all wrapped up in one little package, I went up to knock on that door and they had 12 front doors. I knocked on four of them. I put a flyer on all 12. I wasn't sure which one they would get, but I did that. And it was a, it was a, a, a great lesson in my life that as you think in your heart, that's who you are. If you think you're going to be a failure as a husband, guess what? You're going to probably be that. If you think I, I, God can't use me, then the reality is, and this is, again, not the power of positive thinking. It's just the reality of biblical thinking. As you think in your heart, that's how you are. Some of us, this is, we're not to the message yet, but some of us need to be reminded of the reality that in Christ, you are victorious. And I know that gets abused by some, but in abusing some, many have overcorrected and never want to talk about the victory that we have in Jesus. And that victory that we have in Jesus is not only salvific victory, there's also victory like, like things this world can't offer. This world cannot offer you or cannot fulfill the, the promise it gives of peace, but Jesus always brings peace. Matter of fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit and love, and joy, and contentment. So it's imperative, as Solomon writes here in 423, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart are the issues of life. And as a parent, our objective is to help our children develop a heart for God. We remember Ecclesiastes 12.1, or 12.13 rather, This is really, should be the philosophy or the desire of every parent to hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Pastor, what do you want of your children? To fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If that then is the whole duty of man, then we as parents ought to with care and conscientiousness do all that we can to guide our children along the road to a right relationship with God. Ought to, with care and conscientiousness, do all we can to guide our children along the road to a right relationship with God. It's imperative that we as parents determine that we're going to do all that we can with the Lord's help to raise godly children. It's not always easy. I remember the story, reading a story about a pastor's daughter who had been so bad during the week that her parents had given her spankings and talked to her and everything else, and she just wasn't coming around. She was just resistant. And so they had a big church picnic for the Sunday school class or the kids group on a Saturday. And, and finally, the, her mom said, that's it. You're, you've been so bad that we're not going to allow you to go to the picnic. Right or wrong, that's what the mom said. Well, the day came and the mother felt bad, like they went too high and to the right too quickly. And so the mom and the dad talked and then they went to their daughter and, and they told her, they said, listen, we, we feel like maybe we, we overreacted and we want you to to know that you're going to be able to go to the picnic. And, and the girl just began to cry and to gloom and she was unhappy. And, and the parents said, what is going on? We thought you wanted to go. I did want to go. Well, why don't you want to go now? She said, it's too late to go. I've been praying already that it would rain and rain and rain. The problem was they were correcting and there wasn't any heart for God. I remember as a youth pastor, in Amarillo, Texas, good grief, 20-something years ago, 
our church was in the middle of downtown, and like most churches downtown, like it was kind of like the North Park area without homes. It was more an industrial downtown area, and we didn't have any parking. We had street parking is really all that we had, a little parking lot in the back, but not much to speak of, and we needed some parking, and there was a, a basically a vacant lot across the street, and that vacant lot had been there for, for I mean, decades and decades and decades, and there had been a house on it back in the 30s or 40s, and they'd moved the house off and moved it to the other side of town, but the vacant lot was there. And so I got the idea of, of writing the owner of the land. I went down to the city and found out who was the owner. And I wrote them a letter and asked if they would give it to the church. So you just asked them. I figured what's the worst they could tell me? No. So I wrote them a letter, asked them to donate it to the church. And it was an older lady that said, I've been wondering what I should do with that land. And she gave the land to the church. And we had to make a little park. We were going to make a parking area, about 50 parking spaces, 40, 50 parking spaces out of it. And, but before we could make it a, a usable space, we had to get rid or discard a few things. We had to discard an old old uh, pad, an old cement pad that part of the house was on. There were a couple of low brick walls that we had to get rid of. And there was the most beautiful, in that part of the state, most beautiful evergreen tree that you could imagine. We had to cut that down. We got a few nasty letters for that one. But we had to get rid of all of those things so that we could do what needed to be done with that parking lot. We did. Today there's a, a parking lot that is there. But we had to do some things. We had to discard unbiblical methods. We had to discard unbiblical methods. We can't be indifferent to methodology. Methodology, listen to me, the methodology matters. As a youth director, this is one of the things that caused me tremendous frustration. Now, I'm going to say things, and if you think he's talking about me, I've just been working with, with teens and parents for 30 years, so um, it's no one in this room specifically and all of us in general, I guess unless you've never had kids, and then it's for you so that you don't make some of the same mistakes. We cannot be indifferent to methodology. When I was a youth pastor, the cause for frustration is that many parents were only determined about their children being manageable or under control. As long as my kids do what I say, act how I want them to act, when I want them to act that way, then I'm good. And sometimes it was very counterproductive. But they were okay as long as the kids were manageable. The problem with that is if it's unchrist-like or unbiblical, then at the end of the day, like everything that is unbiblical, it is going to be temporary, manipulative, and fleeting. Why? Because it, listen to me, it's not lasting. And so tonight, our main point, really, we only have one point. It's a two-part message, but we'll do the, we've had a very busy couple of weeks, so I'll be briefer tonight than normal, I promise. But there's one point, you'll get the other one in weeks to come. Number one, we have to recognize unbiblical methods of parenting. You have to recognize unbiblical methods of of parenting. Unbiblical approaches come in many ways. There's books, there's magazines that regularly approach the subject of child rearing. There's, there's always a, a market for quick fix approaches that offer some help for success. Many in our tr country are even trying to medicate their children into compliance there's talk TV program, talk pro, uh, television talk shows that bring on expert radio call-in shows, podcasts, which are huge now, blogs, mag magazine articles. And I, I'm sure there's probably YouTube videos and TikTok videos that will tell you how to raise children in 30 seconds or less. And in truth, many of them are going to be unbiblical. 
And I'm not saying all, I wouldn't be able to speak on that. I'm sure there's some great stuff out there. And I certainly have been blessed by many godly uh, parenting books that I'll mention some at the end of the service. Been blessed in many ways by so many books and so many uh, people that have helped me and Debbie. And, and with all the help we've got, we, we still uh, failed in so many ways. But there's a variety of approaches and all of them have one thing in common, that the human mind is the standard. Let's recognize some prevalent methods of unbiblical parenting. Number one, the I didn't turn out so bad. I didn't turn out so bad. This is the I didn't turn out so bad. It's the way I was raised and how I was raised is what I'm going to do. I didn't turn out so bad. How many of you have noticed that when it comes to parenting, your default is kind of what happened to you? That's just your default. I'm not making fun of you. We all have our default. In our family, the way Gloria and I were raised, it was loud. How many of you grew up in loud families? I don't mean always argumentative, but if you were in my family, it was no doubt when you messed up. I could, Christopher, you better get, and I knew, I knew the tone. If my mom said, Christopher, come here, I knew, oh, I'm good. If my mother said with a clenched throat and literally squeezing the vocal cords right out of her mouth, they'd pop out of her mouth. We had to put them back at, Christopher, you, oh, I knew, like, I'm dead. I am dead. My parents worked really hard to be godly parents. My mom failed every time. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. When she comes, please don't tell her I said that. <laughs> and sadly, many parents have not thought through their parenting methodology. The Bible is full of people who messed up as parents that didn't think through anything. Adam and Cain. Adam didn't exactly raise a God-fearing son. Isaac and Jacob, Manoah and Samson, Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, Solomon and his two sons, David and Absalom. Uh, I, I, we could go on and on and talk for days on end about parents who, who did not think deeply about their methodology. Many parents get mad and yell when they've had all that they can take. They, they let the child catch the parent. I am so guilty of this. Let the child catch a parent on a good day and the parent is very patient and kind. Let the child do the exact same thing on a bad day and the parent goes through the roof. They'll threaten, they'll holler, they hit the child. They, they grow more and more, more and more frustrated. Many will even go so far as to Refer to this as biblical parenting. They're convinced that their children should listen, which they should. And they will say things like, my parents yelled at me and they hollered at me and they knocked me around and I didn't turn out so bad. What's this parent done? They've employed the same method of child rearing as their parents. They have not assessed whether or not it is biblical at all. Let me talk to you for a minute. The thing that burdens my heart most about parenting that I see at Canyon Ridge is not that you don't listen to your pastor when I preach or teach on this subject, but it's that you don't take advantage of so many godly resources that are available that will help you. I've literally had people say, if you'll teach us how to, how to raise our teenagers, we'll do, Pastor, what, the, what, what you say. And I always say, well, you know, there's great books in the bookstore that you can buy. I'll give some sermons that folks can listen to. And like, yeah, I, I'm not going to take the time to do that. Do you realize the amount of pressure and the amount of coercion that that is to put both on your child and your pastor? Well, if you teach us how to do it, therefore, if it doesn't turn out well, it's going to be somebody else's fault and it's going to be your fault because you did not teach us what we were supposed to do with our kids. No, no, wait. There's a plethora of resources available. I mean, I know men. Come on, men. Let's be honest. How many men in this room have a hobby that you'll read blog post after blog post? You'll talk to person after person. You'll ask anybody that you can about it. And I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I love to learn about working out. I watch videos. If you see my YouTube feed, it is filled with how to deadlift. And I have a feeling I'm probably the best deadlifter in the room, except Brother Bernie. Um, 
But uh, I watch it. I, I watch videos on, on how to tweak my pull-ups. Why? Because at 50 years old, I want to do more than the 20-year-olds. And uh, just, I, I, I enjoy that. I love it. I mean, there's so many things that can attract our attention. We're so involved in it. But I'm fearful that most folks in the room are not being diligent to grow as parents, as godly parents. But this is what I know. This is what I've learned. And I didn't turn out so bad. It is imperative that we understand that we grasp the reality that God has given us a resource manual called the Scripture and a group, a tremendous group of godly folks that have invested their lives in teaching and training and writing on how to be the right kind of parent. And just the I didn't turn out so bad is really a weak approach to parenting. A flawed approach to parenting. Not only is uh, I didn't turn out so bad, there's the pop psychology method. The pop psychology method. Many that entrust their parenting to this school of thought are, listen to me, masters at bribery. Masters at bribery. The proponents of this line of thinking say, if, if you can get your son to clean his room, uh, make a deal with him, pay him $5 or buy him a special treat every time he cleans his room, just, just make sure he gets the room clean. Some have even gone so far as to say, make a contract. I've heard this. I've even heard this in pulpits. This is so dumb. Make a contract with your kid and spell out what is done and what your wishes are and, and ask them to sign it. I'll tell you, Arlene never made a contract. Have them sign a contract. You don't realize the mind of a child will circumvent any contract it needs to? But, but son, you signed a contract. Well, yeah, but it didn't mean anything to me. Well, I told you I'd pay you $5 a day if, if you kept your room clean or $5 a week or, or $5 a year. You, you say, well, I wouldn't pay them $5 a day, but, but maybe $5 a week is an allowance to keep their room clean. You have the same approach. $5 a day or $5 million a day, it's the same approach. It means the exact same thing. All you're negotiating then is on the price. Well, how do you get to keep your kids to keep their room clean? You instruct them to clean their room. What if they don't do it? Well, then there's consequences for them not doing it. What if they still don't do it? Then there's more severe consequences for them not doing it. What if they just refuse? I remember one time when Natalie, who is God's gift in so many ways, but this is cleanliness in her room is not one of them. She says, Dad, I like the lived-in feel. I'm like, lived-in? You like the homeless feel, baby. It's homeless. Don't tell her. I said, well, she'll, she's probably watching right now. She's in church, but she's like, Dad, I like hearing you preach. I'm like, you better not. Um, but <laughs> I remember one time, Judith probably remembers this. We made her put all of the things that she owned other than some clothes in black pat trash bags. And we had to put them all in the garage. I mean, she had gotten so many, what we call timeouts, so many times. It's not what you think with timeout. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rod of correction appropriately applied to a place God gave. Uh, but we just call it timeout because we have to take timeout to do it. And... Um, and it sounds better. And uh, she had to take every bag. Jude, you remember this? Every bag and put it in the garage. And we weren't trying to manipulate. She said, Daddy, where can I get my stuff back? Maybe as soon as you keep your room clean, you can have it back. As soon, and, and you say, well, why is that? Well, here, listen to me. It wasn't simply because Dad came up with a rule that she needed to keep her room clean. Although, that's enough. I don't need a better reason than that. 
People say, well, you have to have a reason for everything you tell your kids. That's because you don't have them yet. I don't have to have a reason. You live in my house. It's the rule that we have, though I tried to regularly and always have a reason. I didn't want just weird draconian rules, but there were rules that were just preferences at the Chadwick house. I just, I like things done a certain way and it's my house and I pay for it. And well, you've not really provided anything. So no, you don't have a say when you become an adult and you begin to pay. I'm not winning any, any, you know, awards from our teenagers right now, but when you become an adult and you pay for stuff, then you can do your thing. But this is my stuff. But when it comes to cleanliness of the room and cleanliness of the house, that's a stewardship issue. I don't think my yard has to be the nicest yard in the neighborhood, but can I tell you, it's weed-free. Matter of fact, I drove out today and there are two new weeds that came up yesterday. I called our lawn guy this morning. He said, you have a lawn guy? Yeah, his name's Chris Chadwick. And I made a mental note, clean the weeds up before you leave. Debbie and I are going to Kansas this week to preach at Mission Conference. Get the weeds cleaned up before you leave. Matter of fact, I looked across the street at my neighbor's yard, and I thought, oh, my word, how many weeds they have. I'm going to go across the street and kill all of their weeds. Why? Because I don't want to see them when I pull out of my parking lot. You say, that's weird. Well, welcome to my world. But... I want, my, I want to train my children to be good stewards of the things that God gave them. Some parents think like, oh, just, just, we just shut the door and we don't think about it. Well, what are you going to do when that moves from cleanliness to something major? Are you going to shut the door and not think about that in your child's life? See, he that is faithful in least is faithful in much. The reason that we teach our kids at a small age to do things and to develop a heart for God and a passion for, for, for things of the Lord and, a, and to follow biblical principles in our life, is, the reason we start them out young is because we want them to follow through with that even into their old age. And pop psychology and manipulative methods uh, on these approaches are very crass in their self-interest. They're very crass. It's very self-interested. The child is not taught to, taught to look out for the interest of others, but rather they are taught to look out for their own interest. They're taught to look out for their own. This pop psychology method, let me manipulate you and get you to do what I want and, and do it with a smile. I mean, I even read that in leadership books. Get people to do what you want, but let them think it's their idea. Philippians chapter two, verse number four says, look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the thing of others or the things of others. Through this method, the child simply learns to do things to satisfy their own interests. They learn nothing about their heart, which they are to keep. They don't learn biblical reasons for integrity, responsibility, neatness of room, or service. I hope some of you, I mean, I don't know, I don't follow people around, but if you're not a clean and tidy person, I hope you feel conviction tonight. Well, I wasn't raised that way. You look at a Christian worldview and you see people who take care of the things that God has given them. They take care of the things God has given them. The reason that your car is dirty is not because you don't have time to clean it. It's because you're lazy. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just being honest. So you got kids in your house and your car's dirty. Why? Well, they don't clean it like I like. (laughs) They do a better job than it's going on right now. And what kind of testimony is it? We had a guy in our church one time. He was a nice enough guy, and he really knew a lot about the Bible. He really knew a lot about the Bible. And he was very upset with me that we would not allow, Burden will know, John will probably know. He was very upset with me when I wouldn't allow anybody in church to get in his car. And then when he told me he was leaving the church because I wouldn't let people ride with him, he's like, I don't know why you won't let people ride with me. I said, you want to know why? 
He goes, yeah, I want to know why. It's because you take your dogs to work, they sit in your car, and they pee all over your car all day long. And if I were to sit in your car, I would vomit. Now, I have a low gag reflex, but I would want to vomit. And I won't ask anybody in our church to sit in a car like that that I'm unwilling to sit in. Well, if you're not gracious enough, oh, it's not my graciousness. I said, no, 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 brother, don't you dare put that over on me. You're just slovenly and lazy. Well, I don't think Jesus cares. Well, no, no, we're supposed to be a good steward with the resources God gives us. We'll give an account to God for the things that he gives us. Now, I don't think you have to be as, as clean as everybody else. People aren't the standard, but being a good resource with the things God's given you is. Your children, they probably ought to get their clothes ready for school the night before they go to school. And if they're homeschooled, they shouldn't do school in their pajamas. Well, what should they do? You should do laundry. They should fold it, put it away, and they should dress up and go to school. Well, my kids do homeschool in their bed. That's the dumbest idea ever. I'm pro homeschooler, but some schooling, but sometimes homeschoolers are really doing their children a grave disservice. I've been in homeschool rooms where, where I thought it was, it was the middle of Fallujah 2006. And ladies say, well, I, I, meaning it was a war zone in there. And I've had many ladies say, well, I know right where everything is. Well, you might know right where everything is, but you're the only one who knows right where everything is. My wife was not raised with this mentality. My wife was raised by hippies who loved Jesus. They really were. They didn't smoke weed. They smoked the Lord. Probably a bad way to say it, but you get the idea. I mean, they just, they just didn't. And, and well, just whatever Debbie wants, you know, da, 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 da. And so I, my wife, we, and my wife, we, when we first got married, we had some struggles about this. Cause remember I was, I was raised by the, the, you know, the lady who started Molly maids. Matter of fact, they hired my mom and then they fired her because she was too clean for their company. And the dust runs away from Arlene when she walks in the room. And we were, we were trained that way. I mean, I walk into a room now, I see every Every piece of dust, every time while I'm preaching, I'll look down. It was after Christmas and I saw a needle here. We had a staff meeting about a pine needle that I saw in the corner of the plant, didn't we, Bill? He's like, Bill, that's been there like for three weeks. Can we please clean that up, Brother Bill? He said, where do you see it? And he like came in and I like, came in and I got it. And it was, it was like underneath and I saw that stuff. I was raised that way. That's normal for me. I'm not asking everybody to be like me, but good grief. There should be a place for everything and everything should go in its place. Our staff at the end of the day empties their own trash. Tonight before I go home, I'll empty my trash in my office. It's my trash. I don't have to. We have people that we pay to do that kind of stuff, but it's my trash and it's my responsibility. We implemented that last week in a staff meeting because I walked through somebody's office and I saw trash in there and I'm like, why is there trash in there? Well, we're waiting for somebody else to clean it up. No, no, no. That's your responsibility. That's your trash. You get it cleaned up. Not every company does that. Not every business does that. Not every church does that. I'm not asking every church to do that. I just feel like that's a responsibility that we can do to take care of the things that God has given us. Take care of your stuff. I'm not really even off topic here, but I must move on. Keep your stuff clean. Your car ought to be clean. Your car ought to be clean. Now, let me ask you, just saying that, would you be embarrassed if your pastor got in your car? Some of you are under conviction, like, oh, dear God, let me move the car real quick. (laughs) Pastor, I can't give you a ride, Uber. (laughs) I'll pay for it. But here's the deal. Here's where my concern comes from, is that you're teaching that to your children. Well, I wasn't raised that way. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What lesson are we teaching? 
There's the pop psychology method. We've got to keep our heart with all diligence. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. This pop psychology method, I'll give you these notes and just move on, is concerned with instances of behavior, not methods and goals. I am more concerned that my kids get the philosophy than than that they do everything correct. Matter of fact, when I was a teacher and I've taught over the years and even as a pastor, when I talk to people and I listen to them, I'm trying to listen to make sure they convey the idea. I don't want just a rote answer. I get irritated when, with teachers that do multiple choice. Multiple choice tests are performed by weak, lazy teachers. Oh, if, oh, I know not everybody's happy with that. Especially by the time you get to the upper grades, if you can nail everything down to roteness, then what you're teaching people is they're not supposed to learn a philosophy. Just learn these points and we're good to go. No, no, no. The biblical philosophy of life, your children need to learn not some pop psychology method, but a biblical philosophy of life. Why does Buford keep his room clean? Because Buford's going to have to answer to God for the things that he does with what he's given. Why does Beatrice need to make sure that she's clean and presentable and modern? when she walks out of the house because she's going to have to give an account to God for those things and here's what the scripture says so here's the standard that we're trying to have and we're going to think through that in our life we're not trying to be draconian we're not trying to be unkind we're just trying to put God in his rightful place and help our kids to understand the principles and commands of God in the scripture and then we see finally behavior modification Behavior modification. Many will reward some good behavior in a tangible way and ignore or punish bad behavior. And for kids doing right, I wonder sometimes with the wisdom, though, of rewarding children for fulfilling their normal responsibilities. Rather than teaching kids to be grateful for what they have, the roof over their head, the food, their clothing. We teach them to be satisfied only when they get monies or some type of rewards for being just a decent steward. And I said a little bit earlier, Beatrice, if your room's clean, we'll give you 20 bucks a week. How about this? Beatrice, you live in this house and you ought to be thankful that you live in this house and your responsibility in this house is to keep your room clean. Well, I just think that's putting too much on children. I, I, I think that's the dumbest statement I've probably heard in a month. And I've heard some dumb ones. Are you saying we shouldn't give our kids money every week? Yeah, that's probably what I'm saying. We can come up with some extra things for them to do to earn money. But paying kids, Debbie's never given me 20 bucks to keep my room clean. I've asked her for that too. Like, hey, get, want, you want to give me 20 bucks to keep my room clean? She just looks, she's like, you're so stupid. But we're trying to modify behavior. Hebrews, most parents are trying to do this with, with an allowance or mold behavior. In molding, it's teaching them to be covetous. I don't want to do anything unless I get something for it. Sometimes in our daycare, in our older kids' classes, I'll walk in and I'll see a kid and something be on the ground. Hey, why don't you throw that away? Do I get something for it? Yeah, you get to stay in this daycare center. Well, my parents give me money. Sorry, you have horrible parents. I don't say that to them, and I don't mean that. But no, I'm not giving you it. You don't get anything special. Well, my parents give me a treat when I obey. I've got a treat for you if you disobey. It's a different kind of treat. Now, just pick it up and throw it away. Kids ought to be taught to enjoy serving. Since the heart and behavior are so closely linked, whatever modifies behavior inevitably trains the heart. Whatever modifies behavior inevitably trains the heart. Now, 
Debbie and I are pretty vulnerable. Matter of fact, if you're going to have a relationship, vulnerability is absolutely necessary. And we're not only vulnerable with each other and in our church, we'll be vulnerable this week with a group of pastors that we'll be speaking to in a church that I'll be speaking at and looking forward to all of that. But when we were dating, now Debbie was 19, almost 20 when we went on our first date. Our first date was... I think October 6th, she turned 20, I think it was October 8th or something like that. You get all the facts from her, but it was close to that. We went on a date, and uh, we, I mean, I'm a college student, so we went to an expensive restaurant, Red Robin. Hey, when you're a college student who with poor parents, how I many you know that's an expensive restaurant? Bernie, that's still expensive for him now. It's not because it's really expensive, but he orders like four things every time he goes. He's like, I don't know how this bill's $200. Well, I do. Look at you there, Mr. Competitive Eater. I mean, they've got endless fries. It's not endless everything. But it was, it was expensive for us when, when we were there. And Debbie ordered, I'll still remember, she ordered some type of chicken breast. I mean, it was, that's what she didn't have a very um, advanced palate at the time. And... Um, it has grown for sure. And uh, she ordered chicken breast and the food came and, and I don't remember, I'm eating something. And I think we went on our first date with Jesse Johnson, a pastor in Oklahoma and, and some girl he was dating that he didn't end up marrying, which I like to remind him of. And, um, and Debbie's chicken breast came and she looked at me and she said, would you cut this for me? Cut cut the chicken breast? She said, yeah, I, I don't cut meat. I didn't know what punking was back then. And I'm just looking like, you don't cut meat. What are you talking about? You don't cut meat. She said, yeah, my, my daddy really loves me. And my daddy cuts all the meat. Whenever I order meat, my dad cuts it for me. So I don't have to cut it. There's, there's too much ghetto in me. I looked right at her. I said, you will starve to death before I ever cut meat for you. She said, I can't believe you said that. I said, I can't believe you would ever ask that. She said, but, but I, it would really make me happy if you cut the meat. I said, ask me again. I'm going to throw that chicken breast across this restaurant. She looked at me. We're dating. It's not going well. She's like, I'll never forget. She goes, I don't know if this is going to work out. I'm like, you got that right. And so for the next five minutes, I did what I still do. I just humiliated her with humor. Like, holy, like who does, do I need to wipe your mouth for you? Do you need me to sip the water and spit it in your mouth, warm it up a little bit? What are you, a baby bird? He goes, I was just asking you to cut the meat. I'm not cutting your meat. What are you, nuts? Who even asked for that? Jesse Johnson, you don't know him, but he'll preach here hopefully soon. And he's just going, oh my word, Chris, stop it, stop it. And I'm like, no, she wants me to cut her meat. She's a 20-year-old woman that's never cut her meat. So in the middle of Red Robin, I teach Debbie how to cut meat. And I tell her, you don't ever ask me to do this again. I'm never teaching a grown woman again how to cut meat. And then many years later, when my grandmother died, we were at a restaurant and my cousin's niece, who was about 17, handed me her, she ordered steak and she handed it, she goes, would you please cut that? <laughs> at a funeral with the family there and her grandparents there, I humiliated in Christ-like love and compassion, told her as much grace as I could muster at the moment, no. No, behavior modification. People try to manipulate the heart and behavior are so closely linked that whatever modifies behavior trains the heart. It was shocking to Debbie that there'd be a man in her life that wouldn't cut me for. Why wouldn't I cut me for? Because she's grown. Because she's grown. Because she needs to be independent. What if I die tomorrow? She's starved to death. Sitting on the side of the road. We'll marry any man who will cut this piece of steak. I'm being foolish, obviously. But I mean, I was like, no, no. And, and I don't care how much you try to make me feel bad because I don't, I feel bad, but I feel bad for you because you were raised by invalid wolves. What kind of dad does that? 
Well, my daddy loved me. So we got into a really long fight until we took her, I took her to the beach and started singing Luther Vandross to her, and she <laughs> promised to marry me that night. That's the power of the song, Here and Now. And promise to love faithfully. If you're dating, you just sing that song, you'll be married. Yeah, I promise. It's right there. It's not behavior modification. It's powerful, powerful. Some of you don't know who Luther Vandross is. You can see Miriam for that. <laughs> He was a country singer. Um, this form of training, the, the, the heart to greed and selfish interest, this form of discipline trains the heart to greed and selfish interest and to working for rewards. To greed and selfish interest and working for rewards. This is why when you pick up your kid every time that they cry and there's nothing wrong with them, you're, you're starting to train them for that. It's true even when training a dog. If you reward them for their bad behavior, they get what they want in their bad behavior, they're going to keep doing it. They don't have the capacity to do otherwise. They don't have the capacity to do otherwise. That's why, that's why when, when, when children act up and you give in to them so they'll be quiet, they're learning something. They're learning that you will, you will, because of embarrassment, you'll, you'll give them the piece of candy. You'll give them the keys to the car. You'll give them the video game. I literally saw this yesterday coming back from the parade. I, 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 I couldn't believe what I saw. This kid wanted to watch a video or something, and he's walking with his mom to the parade, and he won't walk any further. He just sits down, and she stops while they're walking and lets him have the video until they're done, and then he gets up and goes. Now, we shudder at that, but let me tell you, I've seen some of you basically do the same thing. Here, sweetheart, just be quiet. Okay, watch the video. Just watch the video. Behavior modification. Every child that, that, that doesn't have a special need, by the time they're four or five years old, probably ought to be able to sit in church for the whole service without having to get up and go to the bathroom. And some of you kids get up every week, same ones, every week, already know it, same week. Why can't that kid pee before church starts? My dad used to say, you could watch TV for nine hours without moving, but you sit in a sermon for an hour and a half and you got to get up and go pee? Uh-uh. Here's what it was in our house. You pee in church, you get your time out after church. It was not said that, well, he's got a small bladder, pastor. You got a warped mind. He don't have a small bladder. His, he pees just fine. He can he, dude can watch TV for hours without small blood, play video games for hours without small blood. But when it comes to the things of God and the importance of the things of God, I'm not, I'm not on a hobby horse. I'm just trying to help you to understand. Okay, fine, just be quiet. Go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Fine, just be quiet. You getting all irritated, and they walk out of church like, and <laughs> that lady's stupid. Can't believe my dad let me do that. They just got what they wanted. Why? Because they knew. I've been doing this a little while, and I'll tell you, normally the parents who are the worst at it are the parents who bark the loudest. They're kind of like dogs in the neighborhood. You've been around a dog that barked a lot. They bark, 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 bark. My dog likes to bark. We don't let him bark. If he barks, whew, he's barking with one eye open because he knows something's going to come flying. If I can't find anything, Debbie goes flying through the living room. No, I'm kidding. It's not, I always keep a slipper around. Don't bark. No, I don't hit him. I just throw something behind him, trying to train him. No, no, we're not going to do that. You don't, you don't get to give in. But, but some parents, they just bark, bark, bark. But when it push comes to shove, you're just caving in because you want the kid to be quiet. You want what you want. Behavior modification. I'll never forget my dad. One time after church, I went to the bathroom. He said, boy, we had, I was about six years old. We had a long talk. And then I remember not long after that, I really did have to use the bathroom. And I came out of the bathroom and my dad was preaching. 
And I get up and I go to the bathroom. And at our church at the time, Gloria, remember that old church building where we first started? And the bathrooms, I don't know why people do this. Idiots did this. They put the bathrooms up by the pulpit. So you didn't walk out the back of the building or anything. They literally were right there. So I was in the back of the, it was a really small auditorium. And I walked around all the way back up front. And my dad is preaching. And he looked at me. He goes, son, what are you doing? And the crowd was a packed crowd. And he goes, son, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh. And I'll never forget what he said. These are his words. I can remember what I was wearing. He goes, we'll talk about that when we get home. You say, what did you do? I faked being asleep the whole ride home, just like every other kid would. (laughs) We talked about it the next day. Behavior modification. Our method instructs the heart. The heart determines behavior. Behavior, incentives, and rewards are not an end in themselves. Obedience to God is the end. Obedience to God is the end. Are you training your children in such a way that your discipline, that your training is leading them in obedience to God? That's essential. That's essential. Obedience to God is the end. As our daughters have gotten older, that's become more difficult for Debbie and I. Why? Because we know what, let me rephrase, we knew when they were children what obedience to God looked like. And we were able to train. But now we have to submit to the Lord and and trust his word and trust the training that we gave them and say, babe, I mean, because we got two girls, babe, if, if that's what you feel God wants you to do, we support you in that decision. And we need to be so firmly persuaded of our parenting that it is biblical, that if our children decide to rebel against Scripture, that it will not change what we believe. I've seen any number of parents that their kids get older and they choose to rebel against Scripture and they change what they believe. Let me tell you, if the Bible is right and you follow the Scripture, I can't guarantee you that all your kids will turn out passionate followers of Christ. Though I can almost guarantee you they they might not if you don't. But if you follow Scripture, sometimes people still have to make a choice for themselves. And I can't guarantee you, but I'll tell you this, God's way is always the right way. And the manipulative tactics of this world are not healthy or helpful. The end of all we do is to honor God. The end of all we do is to teach our kids to honor God. That's our heart's desire. The goal of every parent is to shepherd their child to have a heart for God. And these unbiblical behavior methods, behavior modification, pop psychology, and the I didn't turn out so bad, and there's emotionalism and fear, all kinds of methods. If you do that, your arm's going to fall off. That's a form of of fear-based behavior modification. All of those things are destructive to the heart and mind of the child. Our prayer tonight is that we will raise our children to the glory of God for the furtherance of the gospel and that our children will have a passionate reverence for the things of God. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.